How do you feel about combining dinner and politics? It's great, right? Do you want to know how to prevent 4th of July food fights? Maybe even change someone's mind on Facebook? In this episode, we'll look into psychology, neurology, and philosophy, and much more to get a clear picture of the best ways to disagree. Later in this episode, we will have ex-Antifa member Gabriel Nadalis share some of his life-changing experiences. My name is Tiffany Roberts from the Leadership Institute, and you're listening to the Lead Your Future podcast. Are you interested in running for office? Want to work on a campaign? At the Leadership Institute, it is our mission to increase the effectiveness of conservative activists and leaders in the public policy process. We offer over 40 different trainings, including campaign management school, on-camera TV trainings, and writing workshops. If you want to make a difference in public policy, visit leadershipinstitute.org. That's leadershipinstitute.org. Hey everyone, and welcome back to the Lead Your Future podcast. First, we're going to start off with what happens when we disagree. The old maxim rings true. If you focus on winning, you will lose. Clinical psychologist Leon F. Seltzer explains that when we disagree, it's our inner child that tends to make things a mess. The need to be right destroys relationships of all kinds, and this can turn loved ones into enemies. Understanding takes willpower and humility, but a healthy relationship is starved without it. Let's dive in and learn what it means to enter a disagreement with grit, starting off with grace. Be ready to be wrong. Professor of Ethics and Advocacy at Linfield College, Dave Sumner, shares the ageless wisdom of Socrates. In order to win, you have to lose. Even when you're sure something is wrong, expect that you may learn something, and you both will. He concludes that the only thing we can be certain of is our own mistakenness. Think of a conversation not as something to be won like a war, but instead as a dance. The first step to changing someone's mind is understanding them not as vicious, but as mistaken. Moreover, we need to see ourselves as mistaken, recognize that we are valuable, and that we can learn something from anyone, no matter who they are. You need grace for them, but also for yourself, accepting that you may be wrong because there's no shame in being ready to win. One of my really good friends would tell me all the time that their dad told them when they're growing up, if somebody is telling you something and you know they are completely wrong, that 99% of what they're saying is just incorrect, at least try to listen to that 1% where they may actually be right. Take that and work with it and maybe try to change things, change things within yourself. Next up, within grit, we have respect. Apply the golden rule. Respect goes beyond having good manners. Listening is its most universal form. According to a 2019 study from the University of Illinois, people are 10 times more likely to respect those who demonstrate powerful, active listening principles. Things like eye contact, not interrupting, and periodically reciting key points of others' ideas. Conversational training specialist Alex Lyon gives us three steps to respectful disagreement. First off, you have pause. Secondly, you have expressed genuine respect for a specific aspect of the other's viewpoint or identity. Three, express your own opinion clearly and independently. Avoid but and however, and make sure not to compare your opinion or ideas to theirs. Lyon emphasizes number two, express genuine respect for a specific aspect of the other's viewpoint or identity. 
So next time you disagree with someone, think about what you genuinely respect about them. It's difficult, but it can be well worth it. Maybe try to think of the goal you're both trying to achieve just in different ways. Next up, we have identity. Separate idea from identity. When building bridges, you have to move toward the middle and be ready to leave the side you were on before. Julia Dar, social entrepreneur and former professional debate coach, explains how we are quite wrong when we believe that our ideas define us. Opinions are much more a result of your environment, expertise, and available information than of who you are. When we identify them, we dig in our heels, we close our ears, and we immediately stop learning. In one of Dar's studies on UK Parliament, great policy ideas were shot down just because blue-collar workers presented them. The same ideas were accepted when presented by business owners. If we write people off or we dig our heels, we only cheat ourselves of an opportunity to learn to grow. Zachary R. Wood, a leader in the Black Lives Matter movement, he argues that there is a short supply and great need of what he calls uncomfortable learning. Attending private school as a black kid from a rough neighborhood, his mother demanded he be patient, alert, and excruciatingly well-mannered. Wood developed an affinity for respectfully debating with those who disagreed with him. He even tried to bring speakers he fiercely disagreed with to campus. Before having dinner with him, Wood was sure writer and prominent speaker Charles Murray was a staunch racist. However, the two disagreed, but recognized each other as men who truly wanted to live in a just society. Wood concludes that only those who intimately understand those who disagree with them are fit to be leaders in a just world. Lastly, in our acronym GRIT, we have TIES. Finding common ground forms the ties that hold everything else together. A study from the Journal of Neuroscience News in December of 2019 found that when someone agrees with you, your confidence triples. However, when someone disagrees, something very interesting happens. The posterior medial frontal cortex, which deals with cognitive dissonance and tacking others' conviction, completely shuts them out. So it's like they no longer see you as a person, Instead, they see you as a threat. The only way to fight this is with grace, respect, and by separating ideas from identity so that we can make peace with our peers, our bosses, our loved ones, and work with them rather than against them. The goal is to reach what psychologists refer to as shared identity, where you're both seeking the truth of the issue together. Reaching this is incredibly difficult, but as long as you do it with grit, you'll be just fine. Thanks for listening. Be sure to stay right where you are. After this quick break, I'm going to sit down with an ex-Antifa member, Gabriel Nadalis, to talk about his best advice for dealing with conflict and people who do not agree with you. My name is Tiffany Roberts from the Leadership Institute, and you're listening to the Lead Your Future podcast. Are you looking to launch your career? Do you want to gain real, professional experience while sharpening your media skills? Then apply today to be a studio's intern here at the Leadership Institute. As a studio's intern, you'll master Adobe programs and get behind-the-scenes access to media professions across the board. Just go to leadershipinstitute.org and click on the Career tab to learn more. That's leadershipinstitute.org and click on the Career tab to learn more.
Hey, everyone, and welcome back to the Lead Your Future podcast. I'm very happy to have with me today Gabriel Nadalis. Um, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. Um, so first of all, can you just kind of give us a little bit of a background on your experience at the Leadership Institute and what you do as a student's right advocate? So my job here at the Leadership Institute is to help conservative students throughout the country who are being oppressed by their leftist uh, professors and administrators. Oftentimes, I get a call from uh, a student who says that they spoke out in class and all of a sudden now they become a target of their leftist professors. So I help them out with uh, connecting with legal resources or or even just help them um, navigate that situation. Because I remember when I was in school, I often felt like I was alone and I, I got no support from almost anyone out there. Uh, I first began my career as in politics or just my, my life in politics in 2009. And I, I was a leftist activist. Uh, as a matter of fact, I was a member of Antifa and I did a lot of things for the left for a couple of years. And then in 2013, uh, uh, Leadership Institute Regional Fear Coordinator reached out to me. And I was really interested in learning more about conservative ideas. So I I went along with it. And thanks to the Leadership Institute, I became a conservative activist. And now I've been with the the Institute for about five years. So you mentioned that you used to be a part of Antifa. That's crazy. I've never met somebody a part of Antifa before. What's your story behind that? How did you get involved? So, you know, I was already a liberal activist before I joined that. And a lot of the people who are part of Antifa, they... That's how they are. They are typically a lot of very liberal. Some of them are more progressive or more to the left. Uh, I consider myself an anarchist. Well, uh, I remember that uh, there was this on, thing on the news where I saw that a bunch of uh, really hateful people were going to be coming to my community. And I decided to go there and kind of just oppose them. I put on the black mask. I marched a part of the black bloc. That was the very first time I really interacted with what is known as like the Antifa movement. Well, I met a lot of people at that protest and I just went to another and another, another all for about a year and a half, almost two years. And it's just kind of how one thing led to another. Antifa is not an organization. It's rather, it's a movement and it works in calls to action. Every time that it's very reactionary, every time that there's something out there, say, uh, an alleged like white supremacist attack or like a police brutality, all these things, then Antifa comes out. And now they might sound like a good thing, but it's really not. And I can give you different examples in which Antifa shows up to a place supposedly to fight like the KKK, like in Portland, Oregon. Uh, a few, I think it was late last year, there was supposedly um, a, a rally for the KKK and no KKK showed up. It was all, all it was all fake. Well, Antifa still showed up, and instead of declaring victory, then they started defacing monuments and attacking just uh, breaking windows and doing everything that they do. And it just goes to show you that Antifa is really not fighting against fascism or white supremacists or any of that. They're really interested in having some sort of um, ideological purity, and their ideology is all leftist propaganda. Yeah, I never, I never thought of it that way, that they're more of a movement than an organization. So when you were part of Antifa, what would it have taken for you to have an open conversation with maybe a, a Republican, a police officer, a patriot? What what were those conversations like? You know, something I at the time I wasn't really thinking about how to engage the left um, or how to engage the right. Rather, I was just kind of doing my own thing. I didn't really think about we, you get blinded by your own ideology. You think well, what's the point of talking to the other side? They're wrong. And 
I remember the first time that I started uh, learning in school about uh, free market eco economics. So I, I was introduced to Milton Friedman and Thomas Sowell and a, a bunch of other different uh, conservative thinkers. And I find their ideas very interesting. So I just wanted to talk to other people from, you know, from my friends who were also interested in this type of, uh, of uh, philosophies. Well, for being an anarchist, that was the first time I was ever called a capitalist pig because as soon as I started asking questions, all of a sudden, like I became the enemy. And that's what really turned me away from the Antifa movement to from all of these different uh, leftist movements. And it's the fact that they don't care about philosophy. They don't, they don't care about really who's wrong or who's right because they already made up their mind and they're right. And if you oppose them, you must be on the wrong side of history. So did you, when you're a part of the Antifa movement, did you talk much with a lot of your friends and talk much more about ideology or was it more just rioting and doing things that people see on TV all the time? Well, I was never part of a riot. Um, actually, I was. I wasn't part of a I didn't participate and it was not political. That's completely separate. I, I was at a concert and things escalated and I left. But okay. besides that, I was never part of a riot. Um, but... The interesting thing is, yeah, there is a lot of discussions. It's not just about, it's not just about like, oh, how do we fight them? There is a lot of debates and discussions, but it's always from the left side of the political aisle. It was always talking about the the communist manifesto, about, uh, although I didn't agree with the communist manifesto, about socialism, about social workers, social workers not in the traditional sense as like workers in a socialist uh, society. Um, there's a lot of different leftist philosophers and books that we read and we talked about. But again, it was never about trying to engage conservatives or people on the right side of the aisle because they were just categorically wrong as, as far as everybody was concerned. So it seems like once you started asking questions and started looking into the other side, the conservative side, that's when your eyes started to open. How did your friends react to that? How do they feel about your kind of switch there? Well, a lot of people think it was this switch that I, all of a sudden I became conservative and I posted in social media like, oh, I am now conservative. I mean, uh, socialism and all these things. It was not like that. It's not like that at all. It was always a slow transition uh, into this. So after multiple conversations with a lot of my leftist friends, I realized that they were not interested in, in having any of it. So I started looking for books and I started reading a lot of leftist books. I have a book that I still have on my shelf. It's called Anarchist. Um, uh, what is it called? Uh, a short story on anarchist economics. And I thought, oh, this is perfect. It's going to answer, it's going to have the answer to uh, for the free market. And once I read it, it had some pretty interesting arguments, but overall it was just a, a rejection of what to oppose and not really proposing like, oh, this is what we how we should organize it. It kept bashing conservatism or rather capitalism and saying that it was an oppressive regime and pu putting up all these straw men. And I saw right through that. So after reading several books, I realized, you know what, like, let's see what they, the conservatives actually have to say. So I started reaching out to a lot of different libertarian conservative organizations. And, you know, a lot of them didn't reach, re, uh, get back to me, except for the Leadership Institute. Um, Adam Weinberg was the first person who reached out to me. He was a regional field coordinator. And he, he just introduced me to a lot of different conservative ideas. And I had conversations with him about it. But never really about me, oh, I'm a leftist. It's just like about the, these ideas. And then 
I made a lot of friends because of my conservative club that I started, even though I was a, a leftist. And it was just the conversations, not about necessarily about politics, but about getting to know one another as persons that really opened my mind and made me more apt to to listen to conservative ideologies. So how would you say your experience in the Atifa movement kind of shapes who you are today and in the position you are and how it maybe has helped you later on down the road? Well, the first thing I can tell you is that I've, I see that a lot of people, let me just say this. I recently re- read a book on Antifa that was published in 2017, and it's called uh, Antifa, the Anti-Fascist Handbook. And it's written by a leftist professor who promotes Antifa and their ideology. When you read it and just like forget about everything else that's happening, when you read it, you think, wow, Antifa is a great thing. Because it, it gives you all these instances of supposedly Antifa fighting against these hateful people all throughout history, too, because it's not a new thing. And then you have to remember, everyone always sees themselves as victorious. So how do you go up to somebody and, or, and tell them, you're actually not the good guy, you're the bad guy? Well, if you, anyone tells you that, you're probably going to be like, what? You're crazy. So that's really what Antifa is. They're blinded by their own self, uh, their, their ideology, and they they start thinking that everybody is a fascist who does not support them. Well, in order to break that, we have to not come up to them or Antifa members or leftist activists or liberals in general and tell them you're wrong. We have to engage them on a personal level, on the level of I'm a human being too. Let's have a conversation, but not about politics, but about everything that makes us human. So I talk a lot about this gentleman. His name is uh, Joe Thomas, and he's a a radio host in, in Charlottesville, Virginia. He tells he when I got a chance to meet him, his wife told me that uh, he went to uh, the Charlottesville rally. He didn't go there because he supported the white supremacists. He wanted to go there so he can report on everything that was going on so he can talk about it on his radio show. Well, as soon as he got there, a bunch of different Antifa activists, they they, they threw pee at him and they also uh, sprayed him with uh, pepper spray. And all these really, really really messed up things that they did to him. Well, in one incident, he was about to be beaten down by this leftist activist. And then another guy, an African-American guy named Hawk Newsom, he put his hand on his shoulder and he said, not him, he's cool. Well, it begs the question, who in the world is Hawk Newsom and why did he stop this attack? Well, according to Joe's wife, he told me that she told me that uh, Hawk and Joe had met a couple of months before that. And after an interview, they just started talking, but they didn't talk about politics. They talked about coffee, about their children, about their lives. Politics was not even in the conversation at their interview. And that brief, less than one hour long conversation was enough for Hawk News to stop a savage attack against Joe. And it just goes to show you that in order for us to bridge a political divide, it's all about just talking to another, not about politics, not about anything, but just about human interactions, because we've been doing that for thousands of years. I mean, I have family members who are liberal, and as I'm sure a lot of conservatives do. How do we talk to them? If you're shouting to, if you're talking about politics, you're probably always going to be shouting about them. But if you start asking them about their children, you start asking them about um, about like their day, lunch, all of these things. All of a sudden, you create this bond with them, and it just you just begin to see them as persons, and and you stop being able to to attack them because the first step in political violence is to dehumanize the other side. 
So what we have to do is bring humanity back into the argument. Exactly. Uh, that's such a great way to put it. Because I mean, so many, so many families seem like sometimes they're torn apart, like at, you know, family dinners and things like that, just because of political arguments. Like, is it worth it? And you got you're a family, you're both human. That's, a, that's such a great way to put it. Um, I really love that. I guess one of the last questions I have for you is, where would somebody go if they kind of want a resource to, you know, strengthen their conservative argument or just learn a little bit more about the other side if they are on the left? Where can they go? What can they do? They should go to the exact same place I went. I mean, I started my career as a, a in politics as a leftist activist, and it was thanks to the Leadership Institute that I was able to come from the left and just meet a lot of wonderful people at the Leadership Institute. I mean, the Leadership Institute offers so many different trainings on on political technology, whether it be about just uh, uh, how to get your message out there, how to have conversations with your peers or debates, public speaking, all of these different different um, trainings, which I've taken, they've been helpful. Uh, they've been very helpful to me to really spread this message of, of, of looking at people as people and not political pawns. Well, thank you, Gabriel, so much for joining us. I really think you provide a really good outlook on this whole situation of how to have a conversation with somebody and not and have it not go, you know, insane and go crazy and people just run away from each other. Um, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, I really appreciate it. Thank you. I appreciate it very much. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Lead Your Future podcast. I hope you enjoy it as much as I enjoy creating these episodes. If you like this episode, please leave a five-star rating wherever you get your podcasts and feel free to share it with your friends, family, anyone who you think would be interested and really benefit from this career advice that will help them in the long run. If you're interested in taking a Leadership Institute training, feel free to check out our website at leadershipinstitute.org backslash training. The Lead Your Future podcast is produced and edited by Tiffany Roberts with support from Jared Cummings. Advertisements by Alexander Chang and Christopher Olson. Executive produced by David Fetter and Morton Blackwell. If you want to learn more about the Leadership Institute and see behind-the-scenes photos, follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and subscribe to Leadership Institute on YouTube.